Welcome to FedSpeak, the Canadian edition brought to you by MI Market News. I'm Greg Quinn in Ottawa. With me today is Thorsten Koppel, economics professor at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Let's get right into it. You co authored a paper for the CD Howe Institute that digs into the Bank of Canada's balance sheet, including its program of government bond purchases. Uh, the paper argues the government should change federal law, allowing the bank to create a so called uh, deferred asset to cover operational losses. These losses have haven't really happened before at the Bank of Canada, and, and they're coming because of the quantitative easing program that was used to buy federal government bonds during the pandemic. I'm going to assume our financial market listeners know what quantitative easing is and why the losses are coming, so I'd like to stick to the policy proposal here. Thorsten, can you explain what this deferred asset is and how it would work to solve this problem at the Bank of Canada? Well, I think I want to start actually uh, from a different angle first, because mm -hmm. uh, we have to be clear on what the problem here really is. So if we look at this really from an abstract perspective, uh, it's kind of interesting to note that uh, the losses at the Bank of Canada are not a problem in itself uh, because the Bank of Canada is not like operating like a commercial bank. So even if it had negative equity as a consequence of these operational losses, it could still function uh, normally. And uh, in principle, there's, there's nothing, uh, you know, no problem at all. Because the Bank of Canada is a crown corporation, so that means there is not really a separate balance sheet for the Bank of Canada, because there's only a balance sheet of the federal government. I think the problem is that there's a perception that losses for the Bank of Canada are bad, number one, and number two, that uh, that would encumber actually the independence of the Bank of Canada. And so... Um, and we can go a little bit into detail there further on, on, on this, 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 you know, more subtle reason why we propose the solution. But the solution is very simple. Create a deferred asset. In a sense, the Bank of Canada doesn't have to book uh, the uh, losses against its equity. It has an additional asset on the balance sheet so that the, um, that the balance sheet gets expanded. And the equity, it's an accounting trick, the equity stays actually positive. And the deferred asset would be just something uh, the uh, Bank of Canada would book off its balance sheet again once it makes profit and uh, would not uh, surrender this profit back to the government. And so there would be basically offsetting current losses through this deferred asset against future profit. Maybe we should clarify this. In normal times, it's fair to say that the Bank of Canada makes money on its operation because it holds interest-bearing assets. It has the power to create money. The Bank of Canada is not like a normal corporation that it's not really going broke. This is correct. If you think about the, the, the usual operations of the Bank of Canada, it basically uh, borrows at a higher interest rates than the interest rates it pays its counterparts, which are uh, the big banks in Canada. And so by definition, it basically has to make a profit under normal circumstances. There is an indemnity on the, the face value of the bonds the Bank of Canada has built up. Its policy right now with quantitative tightening is to allow maturing assets to come off the books, not replace them, but they've said they have no plans to sell bonds. I guess in, in two ways, if they're making losses on, on their bond holdings, on the interest flows, but also inflation is above target, they could tighten monetary policy to bring inflation down and they could relieve the problem of the losses by selling assets. Why isn't, why isn't that a good idea? 
So that's a really good question, actually, Greg. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit about monetary policy and uh, how monetary policy works. And I'm actually working on a, on a research paper right now that has a more holistic view of monetary policy and that doesn't really only talk about uh, short-term interest rates, but more like managing the entire look. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, you could conduct monetary policies in many ways from this you know, point of view. Traditionally, you change short-term interest rates, but you could also, you know, manage the yield curve and uh, basically increase long-term uh, interest rates by actively selling off the debt. I think the bank has abstained from that for a simple reason that large sales of, of, of government debt could potentially upset the stability in financial markets. I think that's my personal opinion. But they were very careful of not saying we're going to go out there and, and, you know, quickly selling off this debt because there's a lot of debt having to be sold that comes online very quickly. It may be very hard to find, you know, counterparties for that debt. A quick second answer is the Bank of Canada, and I think they're right, feel that by, you know, using the traditional tool of uh, uh, setting a, a target for the, for the overnight rate, uh, is, is the appropriate uh, and, and immediate, much more direct uh, tool to address right now the inflation pressure. And so they were very aggressive on that. I think they are, you know, they're doing the right thing. They were a bit, little bit late and they may not be done. I mean, I don't want to forecast you anything, but I think they're, use, they're using the right tool right now. Like to put those two together, if, if I could, you, the, the bank itself has said we're, they're getting close to the end of the interest rate hiking cycle. You know, there's a question of whether they may need to turn around at any point and lower interest rates if the economy goes down. And, you know, we also see this balance sheet. They've got this slower path on on quantitative tightening. Do you think what the bank is saying makes sense on rates right now? Maybe they're near the end of the rate hike cycle and that will be that will be the right path to get inflation down to two percent again. Yeah, so I, I, I think I'm taking comfort in one thing, that inflation expectations, even though they have moved to a certain degree, haven't been blown out of the water. So that gives me a lot of comfort. You see the first sign that some cooling is taking place. I think retail sales are down. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we are, we, are, we are past the peak in inflation. But uh, on the other hand, inflation has been more stubborn that I think a lot of people have, you know, forecasted. Let me put it more like this. I, I'm not for, I, I would not like to focus what the Bank of Canada will do. I right. can say a little bit, if I were in the shoes of the Bank of Canada, I think uh, I, would, I would be less aggressive for sure, number one. Number two, I think some pausing may be in store to see what the effects are, how they're working through the financial system. And um, we know that uh, some of the effects of the interest rate tax will be delayed. I mean, one thing that I think the press has picked up a lot is the, the variable rate mortgages, right? They are one thing, but also the resetting. I think the other thing is the resetting of the mortgages. As the five-year, the general five-year fixed rate mortgages become due, there's a second shooter drop, so to speak, where people are going to feel now a delayed impact of, of higher interest rates. And, you know, so we have to, re I think the bank will, 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 will be well advised to take a breather um, you know, a, a couple of months from now, I think, maybe after the first quarter of 2022, of 2023, sorry, and, uh, you know, have a look at that and say like, so, okay, so let's see how things working through the system.
Okay, so I think that uh, that that would be well advised. And then uh, you know, if if more measures are, are necessary, I think they can always react. I, I want to return to the idea that in in the COVID pandemic, I did hear many experts say there had to be coordination of fiscal and monetary policy for both to be effective. And what happened in COVID was a severe downturn. It required strong action. And I guess we could also point to what happened in the UK recently as to how investors can react when it's seen that monetary policy and fiscal policy aren't kind of going in the same direction. Whatever critics may think about the losses that are being rung up or what happened with with the QE policies, is it is it fairly justifiable that the Bank of Canada went in the direction it did with that kind of stimulus, given the need to address a, a deep downturn and to coordinate rather than become controlled by the government? Yeah, so let me answer in two ways your question here. I, what I use usually when I lecture about, uh, you know, fiscal monetary policy, I use the example of the fire brigade. And so when you are in a difficult situation and something is on fire, you know, you don't hold back, you send the fire brigade. But what the problem is really you want to have, uh, you want to minimize the potential for fires and that you have to send the fire brigade. So let me now link that back to the context of your question. Without doubt, there was coordination necessary in the pandemic, in the COVID pandemic. And, you know, in the heat of the moment, I think that was the right thing to do. It's pretty inconceivable for uh, the Bank of Canada uh, not to, to stay on the sidelines. Luckily, they stayed away from, you know, for the most part, from intervening, you know, in the market for uh, private debt. Now, let's also think about that the situation, I think, could have a little bit been different if the fiscal situation would look more benign on, on, uh, for, for, for the government. Because it's not only, you know, how much debt you're going to bring on the market in the first place, but from where you're starting off from. And so I'm, I'm, I'm fairly, you know, I'm a, I'm a fiscal conservative here. I'm German, so that uh, I think that uh, is almost going hand in hand here. <laughs> but, I, you know, I mean, all this talk, oh, debt is cheap, we can issue more and more and more is for me very, very problematic. And so I think the Bank of Canada could have stayed much more on the sideline if we had uh, started out from a better fiscal position in the first place, where we would have safeguards in, in the, uh, you know, safeguards established. And the reason there is, and coming back to this, is, is, you know, having fire regulation in place where you can put out fires very easily through a sprinkler system and things like that would be better than sending the fire brigade and having to rely on the fire brigade, right? So... Uh, what does that mean? I mean, you know, for 20 years, we had many crises and we put out fires all the time without getting back to a neutral position. And, you know, I think we overextended. The Bank of Canada was overextended because it kept interest rates for, low for a very, very long time. And so it started out from a very, very, very bad position already that they couldn't provide a lot of monetary stimulus. Maybe interest rates should have been higher in hindsight. And so we are borrowing against the future all the time in many ways, on the fiscal side, on the monetary policy side. And so at some stage, you know, belt tightening has to happen. And I think the UK is the prime example for that. And, and I think we have to realize that we can't just always scream, oh, there's a big shock. And we don't have to pay for the shock because, you know, the government is coming in and, you know, the Bank of Canada is coming in. And Let me try and wrap this up with a, a, a final question. I, I, I guess we could go back again before COVID. We, we, we saw Canada not use quantitative easing in the 2008 global financial crisis. Uh, the, the bank was somewhat prepared. They had told Canadians that 
quantitative easing was part of the toolkit before before COVID. But we are seeing effects like this, things that perhaps weren't anticipated by, by very many people. Is there a lesson here we're learning about these extended tools? Are we learning indeed that these tools are, are quite effective or not so effective or effective, but with, uh, you know, side problems? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question to finish with because in the pandemic, I've worked with a, uh, with a colleague of mine here at Queen's, Robin Bodway, who is a, is a big figure in public economics and fiscal policy. And we basically pointed out that, you know, there's an alternative to monetary policy, even a cyclical in terms of cyclical policies. And so maybe we have overburdened monetary policy in, in many ways, but one way we have overburdened monetary policy is to basically request a lot of stimulus coming out of monetary policy. And the question is, why can't fiscal policy be smarter and provide some of the stimulus? And it's not in terms of deficit spending necessarily, you know, where we just spend, spend, spend. So why don't we design better automatic stabilizer on the fiscal side that, you know, stimulate the economy and then recover the cost of that stimulus down the road automatically? I'm not necessarily a big fan of uh, quantitative easing. I'm not a big fan of forward guidance. Why? Because one has to realize that these are, uh, you know, big interventions in, in, in financial markets, for example, and there's collateral damage, as we see now, from it to a certain degree. And so the problem is really that you have to give the central bank a bit of a slack. It doesn't have to be a superhero, right? I think that the, the bank has a very, should have a very narrow mandate to control inflation as a first order, and it it should be free to do so and not being asked to do too much all the time. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. This has been the FedSpeak podcast by MNI Market News. I'm Greg Quinn in Ottawa. Thorsten, thank you very much for your time. Hope we uh, can talk again soon. Thank you very much.